I'm Charlene Yennerfeld, and you're listening to About That Outdoor Job. There are an awful lot of days that it doesn't feel like you're living the dream anymore. You are, but, you know, this is this is also, it's just day-to-day, and it becomes your day-to-day. And I think that's important to remember that that doesn't mean that the, the dream is no more or that, you know, it, it's still just a bit of life. And that doesn't mean that something's gone wrong. It just means that, you know, you've got to take the rough with the smooth. This is Rowena Phillips, ski instructor and co-founder of Matterhorn Diamond Ski and Snowboarding School based in the iconic Zermatt Ski Resort in the Swiss Alps. Making a living as a ski instructor isn't a given. It's seasonal work, it's infamously known for its low pay, it has a fairly high injury risk. So how do you make a career out of it? I was especially curious to find out why Rowena chose that route after nearly a decade working in the corporate world in London. The aim, I suppose, even when I was younger, was to work in a ski resort. I always wanted to, but it felt like a bit of a dream. Where did that dream come from? When did the mountains and skiing become a thing for you? I was very lucky. So I grew up in Munich as a kid. We spent uh, three or four years there when I was two or three And honestly, memories of going to the closest ski hill from where we were living and sliding around on the snow there with my dad. Really very happy memories. And honestly, that same rush of being on the snow then just hasn't changed. But you didn't choose skiing straight out of school, did you? You first headed to university. I did a languages degree, French and German in London, and also kind of thought, well, this is this is good. You know, this is all focused towards, you know, potentially going and working in the Alps or at least the sort of the Swiss or the Austrian Alps, I suppose, which is also my Uh, my experience of skiing so far but I also I think like to say that I was I was uh, canny enough at the time I think it was probably luck more than judgment but I I got a job working in a bank in London because I kind of thought well look I need to I need to have uh, like a fallback if if the skiing thing doesn't work anyway and it, and it would probably make sense to have a little bit of money in my pocket before I start doing a million ski seasons because, you know, it's it's uh, famously not particularly well paid or at least, you know, not something you're going to be able to retire on. So I kind of wanted to have so that that backstop, but also a um, I just wanted to learn a few different skills. And I kind of thought, you know, working in the city and uh, in business. I enjoyed it as well. I mean, it's not that the only thing that I like doing is skiing is, is everyone, you know, has a variety of different strings to their bow normally things that they enjoy. And I I really liked working in that environment. They, um, the, after working in the bank for a while, I moved to an IT consultancy and they had offices in Frankfurt. So I was able to go over there and set up more of the Frankfurt office and live abroad, which I suppose is the, the other side of it, which is exciting about doing ski seasons. It's you're generally, I say generally, especially as a British person, you're generally also living in a country that isn't your own. So that's already quite exciting. So that ticked a lot of boxes for me for quite a long time. But I found myself, um, even though I was enjoying what I was doing, I was spending more and more of my holiday just spending weeks in the Alps. So eventually I... Uh, I went and spoke to my boss and I said, look, I think I need to take a sabbatical. How would that be? Um, and they were amazing, and very flexible, very open to it. So I took ski season off and I worked in Zermatt. And I came back from that and I said, actually, yeah, this is this is me. This, this bug isn't going away. So um, they very kindly sort of transitioned. So I was able to work summers uh, contracting for them in London and then uh, seasons in Zermatt. And, and then that basically developed into being here full time. As you've said, Rowena, you were really lucky that your employer in London was open to initially taking a sabbatical and then offering you contractual work in the summers to make the transition sustainable for you. But I wonder, what did your family and friends think about this and of you being abroad? Yeah, I think 
I think I've been quite lucky because as a family, we've moved around quite a bit and we lived abroad when I was uh, when I was small, as I mentioned. So that's meant that it, it doesn't feel so much of a wrench from where the rest of my family and friends are living because we've all grown up with this slightly <laughs> itinerant lifestyle, let's say. And so, and all my family are in some shape or form are used to being abroad, either living or, or visiting. And in your preparation to make this transition, did you qualify as a ski instructor before heading out to Zermatt for your first ski season? No, I hadn't. I'd skied a lot, but I hadn't qualified and I'd looked into various governing bodies. I'd looked into the Austrian system for a while because as far as I was concerned as a kid, that was, you know, the Austrian ski instructors were were the way to go. That was my experience. But then, you know, looking at it a little bit more, I found BASI, which is the British Association of Snow Sport Instructors. And it made sense to me the way that their methodology was in terms of the way that they taught you how to become an instructor. So I knew that I had a fair amount of skiing experience behind me, but doing that first season, I knew would help cement some of my skills. And also, you know, you do a season, that means that you ski all conditions all the time. You know, you have that opportunity to be able to ski the good days as well as the bad and the powder days as well as the icy days. So I knew that that was going to be really helpful. And um, then I signed up to my first level, which is now uh, the level one, Basie. Um, at the end of that season and took it from there. So it was, um, there was an awful lot of new stuff to learn. And it was interesting as well, because, you know, you sort of, you consider yourself a good skier and then you become a ski instructor and, and quite rightly, they generally take you apart and put you back together, which is really interesting. So you actually, apart from anything else, you start to understand what it is that you're doing and the way that skiing works, which generally speaking, you didn't, you don't, or at least I didn't understand before that. So that was great. Snow School, a British ski instructor training organization, surveyed their graduates and ski instructors around the world and shared their results in an effort to answer the question of how much you can actually earn teaching skiing. No surprise, it varies tremendously based on experience, qualification levels, and geography. In general, the salary earned by ski instructors is higher in Europe than the rest of the world. But even in Europe, there are lots of disparities. If you're an experienced instructor, France has the best pay. But if you're a rookie, Switzerland pays more because of higher costs of living. They report top end pay at $75 an hour and the lowest at $14. So the question I really want to ask Rowena is, can you turn ski instructing into a serious career choice that is financially viable? It works because I also run the ski school. So being a ski instructor on its own, I mean, you, you could make that work. You could string that out probably over the full season. You just have to work incredibly hard over the winter. I mean, obviously, you're trying to earn a year's worth of wages in, in six months, which is which is great. But also for me, that was never going to be the ideal because I don't like sitting still. I don't like not doing anything. It's It's fun to be learning new things and it's fun to make a difference and to create something. But the other side of it is that if you work so hard in the winter and you keep your head down and you're ski teaching all the time, you lose a little bit of that. I love living in a ski resort and I love skiing if you're only ever teaching. Could you tell us more about how you came to co-found and direct Matterhorn Diamond Ski and Snowboarding School? I started running the ski school, I guess it was, gosh, I think seven or eight years ago when the current owner was looking to step out. And he and I had worked together in a previous ski school and he knew that we had similar views on the way that we thought a ski school should ideally work in a resort like Zermatt, which is obviously fairly 
fairly particular compared to a lot of other ski resorts. So we arranged between us a transition um, of the ownership of the business from him to me. And we've been able to build it up since then, which has been fantastic. And it's turned into basically, a, I suppose, a year round job. So in the winter, I, I still ski teach a lot. But I'm also running the school. And then in, obviously in the summertime, you have a lot of that other administrative uh, side of the of the business, as well as you know, the, the accounting and the recruitment and the marketing and everything else that needs to happen in the off season. And obviously, of course, also a little bit of time out. So that's that way has made it work for me to be to be a viable year round hobby, I suppose. Could you actually make your living from teaching skiing and running the ski school? Yeah, it took a couple of years. I mean, the school was quite small when I took it over. So yes, it didn't really have the wherewithal to be able to support me all year round. So I I was living in Zermatt full time already by that stage. So I took some work with some local businesses over the summertime for, I think, a couple of summers, maybe three. Um, and to be able to sort of support the school's development without me being too much of a drain on the finances. So what's a typical week for you, Rowena, during the ski season? I tend to wake up pretty early and I'll sort of spend an hour or two on um, sort of email communications and just making sure that the bookings are all set, you know, to having a look at the financials, the general sort of background planning that needs to happen and the strategy. So I have a couple of hours on that. Then generally speaking, I will be teaching probably a half day. I try not to sort of fill myself up too much with bookings. Partly, you know, I want to make sure that the team has the has the lion's share, but also, you know, I don't really want to burn myself out with teaching and then, you know, that be the end of my day. So up teaching, really nice nice to see what the conditions are like lovely to meet new people great to see the other instructors out on the snow that's I mean that's also it's it's really important but it's it's valuable to me and it, it makes me happy to be obviously out on the snow and and I really enjoy teaching that's a really fun part of the day and then I have to you know that's a proper sort of switch off from the office side as you say I probably have my ski instructor hat on when I'm out on the slopes and then um, back home to the home office or to the co-working office that we use in Zamat. So catching up with a few people, having some discussions about other things that are going on in town and sort of just trying to keep my finger on the pulse of what's happening in, in general. Super important. Um, otherwise, I'll sort of end up sort of squirreled away <laughs> in my office quite happily. Um, generally catching up with instructors towards the end of the day or clients, you know, after the end of the ski day. And though Rowena made the dream come true, she isn't taking it for granted, even after 20-some years in Zermatt. What still gets you excited about the lifestyle and livelihood you've created for yourself in the ski industry? The, the very basic answer would be that I get to ski every day, which is just wonderful. You know, if I have some work to do, but I don't have any teaching, I'll often go up for a few runs first thing and go and grab a coffee and sort of catch up with a few folk on the mountain and then come down and start my work day. And that, I mean, that's wonderful. And I, you know, I'm not... I. I'm not taking it for granted, but it's great to have that as a sort of, I can do that every day or go for a ski tour or something like that first thing to, to go out and get some fresh air. It actually sounds like you might be a guest that spends quite some of your work time being outdoors. If you had to put a number to it, what percentage would it be? I would say 50%. You know, I'm not, I'm not ski teaching every day, but it's important for me that I'm in my ski boots on the mountain, you know, um, a good chunk of the time. Otherwise, what am I doing? And though Rowena is passionate about her job, she's also candid that it has its challenges, none more important than the outdoor conditions. The weather in Zermatt can be quite challenging. 
at the moment was minus 20 first thing this morning. So the, this week is particularly cold. And, you know, we're not the only ski resort that gets cold weather. I, I'm fully, fully aware. But that can be quite challenging depending on the level of the clients that you're with. Naturally, they're going to be working harder than you are on the snow whilst they're learning to ski. So you can get pretty cold. And that's, I would say, that was the thing that I found hardest when I first started out as an instructor. Obviously, over time and with technical advances, there are all kinds of things that help with that now. So, you know, heated socks, hand warmers, heated gloves and all the rest of it, which is great. Sometimes even the conditions in Zermatt from a, from a snow perspective can be challenging. We're not famous for getting a huge amount of snow here. So we get clients who want to ski off piste and, you know, they might come from Colorado and they live in Aspen and then they come over here and you go, well, actually, you know, we haven't really had more than 20 centimetres of snow in the last couple of weeks. And they look, they always look a bit crestfallen and that's quite hard in terms of managing their expectations. That can be, that can be trickier. So part of my job actually with my uh, ski school owners has on is to make sure that we manage client expectations from that perspective so that we make sure that those lovely people that come all the way from somewhere that's far more snowy understand what they're going to expect when they get to Zermatt but also understand that they're here for the full experience so we make sure that we can provide them with that so that that balances that out but yeah I would say honestly the challenges can be can literally be the conditions that you're dealing with every day on the mountain. What about summer season? Do you find the quiet vibe of a ski town in the summer somewhat? It can be challenging yeah of course there are a lot of people who aren't here in the summertime and the resort is is naturally a lot quieter in the summer i do spend a lot of time traveling around in the summertime i don't spend all my time in zermatt honestly for me it is about the snow and as a ski instructor and ski school founder have you had to deal with hurdles because of your gender after all the ski industry is still male dominated i find it i honestly find this quite a difficult question to answer i think i think i've always felt pretty comfortable and confident in the job that I've been doing. I think partly because I'm quite risk averse, so I won't jump into anything new until I know that I'm going to be able to do a good job in whatever it is. Um, and so as such, I think I think that's helped me to push past a lot of those, those issues that otherwise uh, I might have experienced. It's hard to tell sometimes whether or not this is something that you're you're feeling intrinsically or whether or not this is something that's happening to you from the outside. So having that confidence in, in what I'm doing has meant that I haven't. I, it may well have been happening, but I've just sort of ignored it, <laughs> kind of kept on going. And I think I um, I think I was I was brought up to feel that I can do just as much as anybody else can, irrespective of whether or not I'm a male or female. So I think that's that's meant that that's it's rarely been something that I've come up against. And, and if it has, they've been quite isolated incidents. I think I was probably quite lucky that it was a fairly gradual transition that I made from the job that I was doing before to what I'm doing now. So I had I had enough time to to get used to that. And I was able to slightly perhaps take into account the the environment, the surroundings that were changing over that period of time as well. So I think I think I was quite lucky in that if, if I was trying to do the same thing maybe 10 years earlier, I think I would have come up against maybe some slightly more difficult situations. But as it is, I've not experienced uh, too much of a discrepancy, I would have to say. Even before becoming a ski instructor, you were working in male-dominated industries of finance and IT. Did this play a part in preparing you to have the confidence for this environment? Having said all of those things, and I and I do think that I, yeah, I think I was I was quite lucky, and I do think that I was well set up for this sort of environment. I think 
that isn't necessarily the case for other women that are coming through the system. So it's it's important to me to be able to support them. And that's something that I have I've learned over the last few years. And I really want to make sure that I do support women who come through the ski industry. Is there an attitude or mindset you saw in successful women in the ski industry that shaped you and your journey? You know, when I think about the you know, the female skiers or people, females who work in the ski industry who are role models for me um, and who I talk to and, you know, we will have discussions about things. They're all, I mean, you sort of hear this very strong female, whatever. Um, and there's something that's the strong character and it's that that confidence in your ability that it's you, it can't be sort of taken for granted, I think. And I think the the, the people that I think of, uh, for example, Lynn Mill, I would say, or Chemi Olcott, they're super strong personality. They're very confident in what they do, but, you know, also very, still very much a woman, which is very cool to see. So I think it's there, there's a little bit of that in there and um, it, it's a little bit intangible, but it's it's nice to see that it's, you know, there's, it's you, you're allowed to be confident and you're not going to be labelled as brash or you're not going to be labeled as bushy you could just be um, comfortable in your own ability part of the mission of the series women in outdoor jobs is to share the stories and experiences of women like rowena who've successfully made the outdoors their living so that women who want to achieve that for themselves can benefit from their learnings and advice What's one of the traits that makes a successful ski instructor in your experience? You have to love teaching. And I, I mean this with love, but you have to be okay answering the same questions and saying the same thing often day in, day out. You know, quite often we get people who've come here for the very first time, possibly from somewhere very far away. They've possibly not even seen snow before. So there's going to be a ton of stuff that you're going to be talking about with the clients that you'll be talking to every client about. You've got to be okay with that. You know, you've got to be able to basically almost absorb their own enthusiasm for being in the mountain for the first time and be able to be able to talk about things from that perspective. Got to be okay with teaching on the beginners area, you know, an awful lot of the time. That's that's what the majority of people come to the ski resorts to learn. They come to learn the basics. The bread and butter stuff is what the majority of us do day in, day out. So yeah, the passion for the sport and passion for teaching, I would say is is pretty fundamental. <laughs> What's the best bit of advice you've received that's helped you succeed? I had a mentor when I was in London, when I was working for the IT consultancy, who was just fantastic. And his name was Justin Wilson. He, I remember him telling me once that he said, you just have to work harder than the competition. That is, it's really, un, it's an unsexy way of talking about it. But if you put the hours in that the other guy can't, and if you do a better thing than the other guy can, then you'll do better. And it's sometimes it really is that simple. It's not always that simple. And obviously there's an awful lot of other things that, that need to be taken into account, but that, that it helps a lot. <laughs> and what advice would you share with someone interested in ski instructing as a job? I would want to be as encouraging as I could be, but I would want to make sure that they've thought everything through. It's, it's a real passion that you want to follow. And the danger with that is that you put everything else on hold because you feel that because it's a passion, you therefore should follow it. And, and everything else should fall into place. And I think that actually rarely happens. I think the, I think people make their own luck. And I think it's important that you do figure out how you're going to make it work and you do have a backup. Because apart from anything else, that means that you can then properly dive in and be passionate about it and learn what it is that you need to learn, knowing that 
you have something that's going to be there if if something does change and your plans change and even if it works out for you but something else happens you know you have a sort of a change in your what you're doing in your life because you meet someone who happens to live somewhere where there is no snow and you want to go and be with them over there let's say something as, as straightforward as that to be able to have another string to your bow and to know that you've you've thought through all of the all of the background stuff that's going to be able to support this passion that you want to follow. I think I think that for me, that's the most important thing, which again, it's not very cool or sexy, is it? But I think having that for me gives me that sort of, that comfort level that I know that I can carry on pursuing things that, that I want to be enthusiastic about and enjoy. And I couldn't finish this interview without finding out what was one of Rowena's most cherished ski adventures she's had in Zermatt. Yeah, there are there are things that I've done that I definitely wouldn't have experienced had I not had I not been a ski instructor or at least had the opportunity to live in Zermatt. So, um, staying up in a mountain hut overnight with some friends at 3,500 meters, which you know that's that's not easy to make uh, for for a good night's sleep necessarily. It definitely had nothing to do with the very large, very wine-heavy dinner that we'd had up at the lodge uh, the, uh, on that evening, but. You know, seeing the stars from from that altitude when there's no light around and watching the sunset over the mountains and then waking up first thing and having first tracks before anyone else has even thought about getting up onto the lift is is a really amazing experience. That's just, that's really wonderful. Thanks to Rowena for taking the time to talk with me during the busy ski season. You can find Rowena on Instagram at Matahorn Diamonds. Other resources are listed in our show notes. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can find About That Outdoor Job on Instagram, our website, and on your favorite podcast listening platform. You can support our podcast by subscribing and leaving us a review. A review makes our podcast more visible so others can discover it as well. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Charlene Yennerfeld.